Well, hey, and welcome to episode 39 of the Gospel for Everyone podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Krismer, and I'm so glad you're here. Well, on today's episode, Jason, Josh, and I sit down and we spend the entirety of our time discussing close-handed versus open-handed issues within our own church, as well as how to keep fellowship when we disagree with one another. One quick disclaimer on the front end of this conversation is that this is a heavy conversation. Uh, Some of the topics that arise are, uh, as we well know, very emotional and hard to wrestle with. And and all we're trying to do throughout the course of this conversation is wrestle with them through a biblical perspective around this idea of close-handed versus open-handed issues within the church. If there are additional questions that arise as a result of this conversation, we do encourage you to submit them at quadcity.church slash Romans. Whether we answer that question on an upcoming episode or just reach out to you directly, we would love to give an answer in one way or another. And as always, if you've not yet listened to the message from Sunday, I do encourage you to pause now, go back and do so before continuing on in this episode as it's going to help this conversation make a lot more sense to you. Well, without further ado, I hope you enjoy this episode. Well, hey guys, good morning. Happy Monday. Hey guys. It was a little humid, muggy out this morning. Did you guys feel that? I didn't know. Neither of you? No, yeah, I was up early and went outside and I was like, oh, there's some moisture in the air. It's kind of refreshing. Uh, I don't know. I have a different view of moisture in the air. <laughs> I don't, oh, it just makes me think of being sweaty for most of the summer yeah. in the South. <clears throat> yeah, that's a good point. Well, um, some of you guys are going to like this a lot, I'm sure, but we've got a fair bit of content to cover, and we've also heard uh, that some of you don't love the banter on the front end of these conversations. So today, as a result of how much we have to cover, uh, we're not going to banter. We're just going to jump right in. You guys cool with that? No. I would rather just talk about nothing. I would rather banter today. (laughs) If any day we're going to banter, this would be the day. Uh, It does feel like we have to have a light start somehow, but that's just not going to happen. It's it's not. not. I think we should be really honest with our our audience today, though. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Like, okay, so we usually get into the office at 8 and come down to start record around 9. But today, it is right now 9.53, and we've been hashing back and forth all of these topics without the record button. And I don't know if we're going to get anywhere good on this whole podcast. Yeah, so for more than the last hour, because it started up in the office, yeah, and then it moved its way down here uh, over the course of the last hour, hour and a half. So yeah, it's a good point. A lot of conversation around, um, you know, some really important how we're phrasing this, framing this conversation, some really important phrases and what we mean when we say what and that sort of thing. So I think it's been helpful. It's been helpful for me. Yeah, because I think, like when I'm trying to think through this in the lens of a pastor, because that was the lens you framed it in yesterday. Like, hey, I'm also a pastor and I want to help shepherd you well as a church. So many of these conversations um, about... 
set the frame for somebody who might have missed the sermon and just jumping into the content. Yeah, so we just basically talked about what issues are indisputable or how we like to frame it as closed hand. Like these things are kind of non-negotiables. These are really important. We want to believe in these. They mark our faith. They are tenets, core, I think, to who we are um, as believers. And then there are other issues that are really important. And so I don't want people to miss you. And I think you did a great job of saying that. They're still very important. What we believe on them is very important. But are we willing and able to not have an argument and quarrel over things that are actually disputable? And then so you said, as a pastor, I want to help define what's disputable and not uh, indisputable or not disputable. So... Uh, and when you're doing that in a large audience, it's really hard. So I'm thinking like through most of these things, there, I have these questions with people one-on-one and it's so different. Like nonverbals are important, just how people's body language shifts, mm-hmm. you know, how they're, how they react. It gets emotional and you're able to feel that. So I think that's what's going to happen today. We're going to miss the one-on-one and yeah. it's done on a podcast. And so you're going to hear some things that my tone may sound a certain way or, but like at the heart of, I think all of us is trying to be, that's why we've spent an hour plus trying to answer these. Cause it's like, I really want people to know um, and <clears throat> that we're pastors trying to love you and help you navigate our culture uh, and navigate some of these questions that are just so hot topic questions. It seems like they're a landmine just, just waiting to, just blow. And some of you, I know, because I have some of this in me, you're just a little disagreeable. And so you like, you like arguing and you, and when we like the tension of it. So I'm like, even I have to, with these have to put that hat off and really ask myself, like, at the end of the day, how do I live and serve in Jesus's kingdom that brings glory and honor to him? I think even, even in some of the conversation, there's just so much more nuance to these conversations than what we can have in a podcast. That's that's the issue. I think at the we just can't nuance this whole thing out. There's so much more to it than yeah. It's not nearly as black and white as we always try to make it. Even in some of the things that we would call indisputable, there's nuance there, and and framing it in one letter or I'm sorry, not one letter, one word or one sentence makes the whole difference. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we would ask for a little bit of grace. Uh, in this conversation, we're trying to have it live with you, and so we'll figure it out. But yeah, it is nuanced. It is very much so. Um, so let's go ahead and dive in. Before we do that, I, I want to lead with the first question because it's really like 17 questions. <laughs> so we'll start there. The question is this, which of the 17 statements on Quad Cities uh, we believe what we believe page. So on our website, we've got a statement of faith, a, a page that just says, Hey, here's what we believe. Some things that are really important to us as a church that we know uh, outsiders looking for a new church are likely going to want to know about. So it's a resource for people that aren't yet connected to go see some of the things that are really important to us as a church, theologically, doctrinally, um, that sort of thing. So of those 17 things on the page, what do you consider indisputable or close hand issues? But before we dive in, I would love just a refresher. When we say indisputable or when we say closed hand, Jason, just remind us from the message yesterday, what is it that we mean when we say that? These would be things that we would say, um, 
are what marks our fellowship together as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so um, the ones that I gave, and many of the ones that you'll see on the What We Believe, specifically refer to who Jesus is, uh, speaking of the Godhead, our uh, position on the authority of Scripture. So these are the things that, that we think make up Orthodox Christianity. And they, across the board, denominations, times, centuries, cultures, we would say these are the things that make up what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Um, and so that's the closed hand stuff. These are a lot, there are a lot of other things that are in the open hand, but the closed hand stuff are what marks us as followers of Jesus. Yeah, that's really good. And the other thing to note before we dig into this list here is just at the, there's a little disclaimer at the very bottom of that list that essentially just explains how, hey, this statement of faith is not an exhausted list of beliefs. Like this isn't everything we believe, but like I said on the front end, like this is a tool a resource for people specifically on the website, because we know that's where people most often go first. If they're going to check us out as a church, um, we feel like, you know, it is the clarity of these things is kind to them. We want people before ever mm-hmm. walking into the room to know where we stand on some of these issues, especially if they're already churched people, they come from a background or a denomination um, that has share some of these beliefs. Or again, a lot of the times we're looking for a couple of specific things that are really important to us. So, all that to say, these 17 things, it's not the exhausted list of everything we believe, uh, but it is a resource for people uh, kind of from the outside looking in to see if this is the sort of church that they want to be in fellowship with. Anything else before we jump into these? I would just say the, there's that little line for the purposes of Quad City Church, like for for our church, our elders make up that final authoritative meaning of what the word of God says. And that's just for us here locally at Quad City. We're not saying that our elders determine everything for Prescott or the Quad City area or or other churches. Yeah, They do things their own way. I just think that's really important is like, hey, it's like most of what we're trying to center in today is, and Jason did it yesterday was, we're not talking about all of the people out there. We're talking about all the people in here. Yeah. So the 3,000 or so people who say, yeah, Quad City is my church home. Hey, what do we believe as a church? Mm-hmm. And where do we have liberty is the other word we used out of the restoration movement stuff. So where's the liberty? And at the end of the day, we can have conversations that don't end in quarreling, which is a big, big piece of this. The only other caveat I'd throw out is, was this list was never meant to be a list of trying to put in there what is closed hand and what is open hand. For sure. So there is actually, I think, a little bit of a mix of both, uh, but they're really important to us, and so we placed them on there, um, which is, is yeah. why this is a, a good question for us to dig into and maybe help bring some clarity. For sure. I thought maybe it'd be fun if we just went like rapid fire and only allowed you to say close hand or open hand with zero explanation. <laughs> no, there's got to be a little nuance. <laughs> no, so let's get in. This is okay. gonna, it'll take a minute. So the first few, though, were mostly in your message. Yep. Like These are some of your examples. These first few are kind of the, um, the uh, scriptural non-negotiables that you had in mind on Sunday. So the first one being this. Um, here's the statement. There is one true God who in the beginning created out of nothing the world in which we lived in. Live in. 
yeah, that's a closed hand. And again, as we mentioned yesterday, uh, the closed hand piece is what we wrote that the mm-hmm. that God created the heavens and the earth. What is in the open hand is the when and the how. And we have people in our church who believe he did it differently than other people and that the time frame is different than other people. But there's no doubt, closed hand, God created the heavens and the earth. Yep. That's good. Uh, statement number two. Um, Jesus is eternally existing one or is the eternally existing one and only son of God who died for our sins and was raised bodily from the dead. Closed hand. Simple. Can't be a follower of Jesus without that one. Kind of a big deal. Yeah. It is is the the cornerstone of the faith. Um, Okay. Statement number three, the Holy Spirit of God works to convict, create, encourage, equip, empower, teach, and seal the believer in a saving eternal relationship with God. Close to hand. So we are going rapid fire. Well, that, yeah, for, no, for couple, sure. yeah. yeah. And for those of you who are interested, yeah. each of these, if you go to our website, they have scriptural um, backing. So you can go and look of why we consider it closed hand because there's there's lots of scripture. And there's there. probably more. Like I was thinking oh, the Jesus one, the one just right before that. I mean, John 1 John has 1, to be a part 1, of that. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's really good. Um, okay, uh, number, what are we on? Four? One, yep. two, three, four. Uh, the Bible is the inspired word of God used for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Yeah, that's that sounds like, yeah, that sounds yeah. scriptural. Yeah. Actually, we use scripture to <laughs> stay to believe. I love that it. is just 2 Timothy 3.16. Yeah, it is. You don't have to look that one up. All right, next is uh, every person has worth as a creation of God. We believe all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Yes, that's a close to hand. Great. Forgiveness of sin and the promise of eternal life are available for those who trust Christ as their Savior and Lord. Absolutely. Close to hand. Yeah. Salvation comes by faith or by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Yep. 100%. If Fantastic. you're thinking you're earning it, then that... Paul would tell you, you're not a brother. The moment you Mm. are putting your salvation on your rule keeping, then you are no longer a participant in the gospel. Mm -hmm. And so we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus. That's good. Those accepting Christ as Lord should repent of their sins, confess their faith, and be baptized into him. A hundred percent. Yeah, that's a closed hand. Our response to the gospel, this is what it looks like all throughout scripture. Um, The one thing that we did talk about, and so we'll just be honest here, uh, we do recognize that there are lots of believers out there who would want to quabble or squabble or quibble about the baptism piece in this. Um, but as it's written here, I don't know that there's any faith practice that would not say you should be baptized. And that's the way this is written. It says, those accepting Christ as Lord should repent of sin, confess their faith, and be baptized into him. Like, there is no there is no way to say that that is not something every follower of Jesus should do. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether you're talking the Great Commission, Acts 2.38, um, there are some who would say, hey, but there's some exception clauses to the baptism piece. Again, that would be a disputable hand conversation. There's no disputing 
that given the given the ability that everyone should be baptized. So I just thought again, there's a little bit of that nuance that we were trying to talk about. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. We'll keep it moving. Um, next one is the church is the body of Christ on earth, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and exists to save the lost and equip the saved. Agreed. Yeah, close to hand. Yeah. And I love to tell our people this is the tension, that back part and exists to save the lost and equip the save. Mm-hmm. And we've been talking about this as a church. When you run one too far, you forget the other one. Yeah. And so there's a tension in we have to be reaching lost people, but we also have to be becoming better disciples. This is our more and better. It, I was just going to get into yes. yeah. It is like the quintessential example of, hey, more disciples is evangelism. It's seeking and saving the lost. This is the language Christ used. And then the discipleship piece, the better. How do we make yeah. better disciples? How do we equip those who are saved really to go do that, to evangelize, mm-hmm. and, but then also you know, to walk through their process of sanctification? And it's a tension. And when the church, I think, <laughs> loses the tension, they're not doing, because it's easy to go yeah. one way or the other. And that's something we talk so about. So I like the about. tension, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Uh, next one is this. Jesus Christ will one day return to earth in victory and reign forever as King of King and Lord of Lords. Hundred percent closed hand. Again, if you're if you don't believe that, then why would you even consider yourself a follower of Jesus? That just that doesn't even make sense. And again, as I mentioned on Sunday, the the when and the how is in the open hand. It's not about uh, is he coming back. It's about when is he coming back. How is he coming back? That's all disputable. What is indisputable? is he is coming back to judge the living and the dead, to reign in victory as king and king, king yeah. of kings. It's good. <clears throat> All right. Um, so I always, so when I do uh, membership stuff or group leader stuff, anyways, I always say the first 10, most everybody believes. And it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's most churches, we kind of land in there. Yeah. How and when, yeah, definitely can have a conversation. It's the next four that I think are really unique to Quad City that we put these in our beliefs. And I think it speaks to what Brendan was saying is some – People are looking for certain things. Yeah. And I think when a church isn't honest about it, it actually is, it, it, this, it doesn't help us. So I love that we are honest and I love that we have these in here. So the first one is we believe God wonderfully and immutably creates all, uh, creates each person as male or female. These two distinct complementary genders together reflect the image and nature of God. A rejection of one's biological sex is a rejection of the image of God within that person. So this one is one that requires a little bit of nuance. Um, And the nuance would be, we recognize that we live in a sinful world. And part of the, the curse of sin in the world has broken even to the degree of a person's biological sex. Some of that gets broken. There are intersex people. We that there's no there's no doubt that that's a real thing. It is a very small part of our culture or our world, but it it does happen. Mm-hmm. And so there is that bit of nuance. Um when it says the two distinct complementary genders, that would be an open hand. Um, we we hold to a complementarian uh, worldview. So for those of you who don't know what that is, it's that men and women uh, are made differently and they were made and meant to complement one another. 
But there is an argument to be made. There's there are many churches that would fall into what's called an egalitarian worldview or egalitarian view of men and women. And the and then the egalitarian view is to say that no, men and women are equal in and of themselves. Um, and there are verses that you could look at where where Paul says, in Christ there's neither male or female. Like that verse exists. And so there are some who say, no, that we're not complementary, we're not we don't complement each other. We are the same in Christ Jesus. So in in that sense, that would be an open-handed position, but we wanted to make sure that we clarify how we view what Scripture teaches and how we're going to preach it when we get to those texts. So we would fall into the complementarian camp, and if you are on our website, you can actually go down, and we have a section called Theological Distinctives. And that is one of them, that we are a complementarian church. We believe that God created male and female and created them differently to complement one another um, in their roles uh, before God in leadership, all of those things it has bearing on. So that would be an open-handed part of this uh, list. Okay. Uh, next one is we believe uh, we believe that the term marriage has only one meaning: the unity of one man and one woman in a single, exclusive union, uh, as delineated in Scripture. So, I don't know how to answer this one. <laughs> yes, this is what we believe, and we believe this is what Scripture teaches. Is it closed hand? I don't know. This is one of the ones that we're bantering about. So y'all want to dive in on this one. Could somebody believe something different as it relates to this and still be a brother and sister in Christ? I I did just have a little bit of a light bulb go off as I was reading that for some reason. Um, And that is obviously, you know, when we read this out loud, my mind goes immediately to homosexual marriage. That's where my mind goes. That's what I think of um, almost immediately when I, you know, reading through one man, one woman as an exclusive union uh, as delineated by scripture. But the other thing that we've wrestled with for the last two years, Mm. and this is where it gets really hard Mm. is when we start getting into heterosexual sexual marriage, Uh one man, one woman that is then unbound from an earthly perspective, but never unbound from a godly perspective and then they go and enter into another union obviously marriage divorce remarriage that's something we wrestle with so is that delineated by scripture i that view is not but can we still worship alongside people who maybe believe there's a a heck of a lot of churches that believe that there's a heck of a lot of people in our church that would believe that so where it feels like this ambiguous gray area here. So let's talk a little bit about that. Well, no, I was already oh, there. You were there. Oh, okay. for sure. So you're, I so was you're, already there. Yeah. You're so when I read that, of course, that's what it means when it says exclusive union. 100%. That's why it's in the, the, the list here. Yeah, it's exclusive. And so that's why for me, I, it's a hard thing to put specifically into the closed hand. Mm-hmm. I would say... Uh, the male and female piece that marriage is has only one meaning the united male and female i i 
I think personally, and this is what we talked about a little bit at the beginning of the sermon, that we couldn't even agree just among eight of us what goes it what goes on the the indisputable list. Like there were some things in there that we we decided we couldn't even figure out amongst ourselves. So personally, I would put that in the indisputable list. I have a hard time thinking that somebody could be in full surrender to Jesus and view it differently than me. Um, so for me, I think it would be on the indisputable list. But I don't know. I, again, these, these there's so much nuance to this. As it comes to the marriage, divorce, mm-hmm. and remarriage piece, you for sure are going to have brothers and sisters in Christ. I have a lot of pastor friends that I love and admire that don't see this the same way that I do. That would not put that exclusive word in there. Um, but for me, it's, it is a deeply held conviction that I know not everybody has. So in that sense, that, that nuance that you just brought up would be, it would have to go in the, uh, disputable category because there are so many people that I know and love who are biblically literate, love Jesus, filled with the spirit, and they see it differently than me. So I can't put that that nuance in the indisputable category. That's good. And that is, again, just as a reminder, what we're not saying is what do we believe personally? Like yeah. what, what we're not saying is, uh, you know, because we put it in a disputable category, it means I don't believe this still. What we, the Mm. question we're trying to answer is what is close handed for our church and what is open handed for our church? Can someone with any of these beliefs come in, feel welcome to worship alongside us, be in fellowship with one, one another? It's not, is this scriptural? Is this uh, pure fact. What like so? There is a little bit of a nuance, even as we're going through these. I'm feeling the tension of, well, but I do like I do believe exactly the conviction yeah. that you're feeling. However, well, we're I not going to so condemn many- the church down the street that would teach something different as it relates to marriage, remarriage, and divorce. Right, and that's where it's really hard to reconcile because we yeah. do that so frequently with homosexual marriage. Yeah, we do condemn churches for that. Yeah, so yeah, it's hard. It's it's really hard. Josh, anything to add on that one? Oh, I think you covered it very well, boys. <laughs> Again. I think he's just trying to stay off the record. Uh, no, I 400%. It is a, for me, if somebody said, because I've been asked to do a gay marriage, and I said, no, it goes against all of my convictions for what I believe is marriage. And if I was to do that, I would be dishonoring you, and I really wouldn't be your pastor. Yeah. Does that mean you have to stop coming to my church? No, absolutely not. If you're married, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna stand up and berate you. That's not my call. I'm gonna continue to teach the scripture. And I told them that, and it was one of the hardest pastoral conversations I've ever had. Hmm. Um because there was it, it was just again, but it was across the table, filled with love. And you know, they went, Josh, we knew that's what you were gonna say, but we wanted to ask you anyways. And I really did. I said, Thanks for asking. Thanks for allowing me to share what I believe about the word of God. And I think it's really, really important. And I want to be somebody who not only preaches it, but actually lives this out. Even if I know you guys probably are going to leave and you're not going to keep coming. Yeah. And I've and you guys know yeah. this. I have that same conversation on the regular with people <laughs> in our church yes. who are married, got a divorce, their spouse is still alive, and they are ready to remarry. Yep. And I have to have that same conversation 
related to home, uh, heterosexual marriages. And yep. so, um, again, I would not say that those people who have remarried are not my brothers and sisters. Right. I would never say that. That mm-hmm. is absolutely not. We have so many of them in our church who fit into that camp. Um, but w- again, what we're trying to do with this list, this list was not created as an example of open hand, closed hand. What this list was created was to help people understand what it is that we're going to teach as it relates to these things uh, in our church. Again, yeah. so it's, it's going to say we are not an affirming church. So yeah. if somebody is looking for that, they can clearly come here, and they're not going to get bombarded or blindsided yeah. from the very beginning. We're going to say, yeah. yes, of course, you are welcome here, but we are going to constantly call you and all of us to surrender in certain areas. And this is going to be one that rubs off. And how I always see this man is genuinely, it's not that I end up not wanting to be in a friendship. What happens usually, and this is what happened with that couple, they eventually just stopped coming to our church and stopped texting and doing those kinds of things. Because, And I think maybe it's just the conviction that they sense from the Holy Spirit. And, you know, but it's usually not me. And I, and I hope it's not me. I hope that I am open and welcoming in a way that says, hey, I, I, my call is to love you, but my call is also not just to con- condone sin. Right. You know, and that's the, kind of the balance. Uh, so the next one kind of fits in with this as well. So our belief says, we believe that God intends sexual intimacy to occur between a man and a woman who are married. We believe God has commanded no intimate sexual activity be engaged outside of a marriage between a man and a woman. Um, obviously, this uh, goes up against two things, right? It goes up against homosexuality, of course, but it also goes up against the hookup culture, mm-hmm. like that it doesn't matter, mm-hmm. that I'm a, I can have sex before marriage, there's no constant, whatever. Like this is, I always like to point that out for people, that this is not just against homosexuality, it's just as much against heterosexuality in our sexual activity. Which would be more likely more pervasive and for sure more pervasive in our local church. Yes. 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 The heterosexual side. Yes. Yes. So. The acceptance of heterosexual sin. The acceptance of it. So again, this comes back. I mean, the closed hand issue is sin is sin and all sin needs to be repented of. That's closed handed. Like we... And we specifically address this one, but there's a thousand of them like that we could really address. This that's the closed-handed is sin is sin and needs to be repented of. That's 100%. that would be the closed-handed issue. Um and that's this next one as well. This yes. whole next list is all around sexual immorality. But yeah. to your point, sin is sin. So really it's the same answer. Yeah. So I don't know of anything in there that would that isn't to say that we're not gonna struggle with sin. So it isn't saying that anybody who's ever struggled in any of these areas is out. We're not saying that. What we're saying is sin is sin, and we're going to call people to repent of sin. Yeah, 100%. So I'm going to run through this list just for the sake of uh, saying them all out loud. Next one is, we believe any form of sexual immorality, this includes adultery, fornication, homosexual behavior, bisexual conduct, bestiality, incest, and use of pornography is sinful and offensive to God. And yes... Yes, that is 100% what we believe. And the fact that we call sin, sin is close-handed for us. Yes. Mm. And again, it's not that anybody who has struggled in any of these, that we're questioning their salvation or their love for Jesus, we're all going to struggle with sin. But the point is, we're never going to accept sin 
without calling it calling a person to repentance. That's the, that's the stance that we want to take as a church. That we're yeah. always going to call sin sin, no matter who's doing it or how. And we have a question I think that helps the the back end. Then, like, how do we then maintain close fellowship with a brother or sister who is okay with openly? doing these kinds of things. Yeah. So we'll get to that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that is a, a really important part. Um, the next one is we believe that God offers redemption and restoration to all who confess and forsake their sin, seeking his mercy and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. So this, there's a little bit of a, de- so this, uh, so this one here is a little bit different. So if you are, uh, come from a reformed theology if you are a five-point Calvinist, there would probably be a piece of this one that you would disagree with, the idea that God offers grace and salvation to everyone. Part of the Reformed theology would say that Christ did not die for everyone, that salvation is not available to everyone. It is only available to to those to whom he has chosen to make it available. So, um, in that sense we would have to say it's a bit of an open hand issue because we do have brothers and sisters that we know of, that we love dearly, that would see this differently than us, that they have a biblical understanding that would differ from ours. Um, But again, we put this on this website so that when people read this, they know where we're coming from in the stance that we take on this issue. Well, and the reality too is as it's read, there may even be a, a large portion of the reformed camp that would say, yeah, I think I could buy into that because, right, uh, God offers redemption and restoration to all who confess. Again, the argument could be, well, yes, but only a limited amount of people are actually going to confess. And that number is foreknown and, foreknown and predestined yeah. to have happen. So we can disagree on that piece and still yeah. agree with, yes this this piece i think in a lot of ways uh next one is this we believe every person must be afforded compassion love kindness respect and dignity and then it continues to say hateful and harassing behavior or attitude uh, directed towards any individual is to be repudiated and is not in accordance with scripture nor the doctrines of quad city christian church 100 percent. this Look, is it's my favorite it's my favorite thing in our beliefs Love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. I mean, this is how can you love God whom you have not seen if you do not love your fellow man whom you do see? For me, it's the, man, we're going to be real open and honest with who we are, but we're also going to be real welcoming because we know that people won't hear the truth outside of the doors of the church. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to preach the truth. We're not going to apologize for it. But as as members of Quad City or those who attend Quad City or people who are just checking us out, we want you to know like, our job is to treat all people this way, and then the word of God will convict them. Mm-hmm. Like we believe that, yeah. and we know that, and so this—it's like right after those four, which are really hard. Yeah, it is the reminder of like, like you said just a second ago. It doesn't mean we're saying you're out or unwelcomed here. Right. We're just saying we're gonna do our best to help you live and follow Jesus, mm-hmm. but we're gonna do it in a way that is honorable mm-hmm. and glorifies Him. That's really good. Last one, Josh, bring it home. Uh, We believe to preserve the function and integrity of Quad City Christian Church and the local body of Christ and to provide a biblical role model to the 
Quad City Christian Church partners and the community is imperative. All persons employed by Quad City Christian Church in any capacity, volunteers included, agree to and abide by the statements of faith on marriage, gender, and sexuality. Yeah, so this would be, I think, obviously it's an open-handed in the sense that not every church makes its volunteers do this. So there's no command in <laughs> right. scripture to make volunteers do this. So in that sense, it is open-handed. Hmm. Um, but we want to make sure that anybody that we hire, or anybody who represents our church can at least affirm these biblical understanding of what we uh, have addressed in all of these statements. So um, yeah, again, this is not meant to be a closed-handed moment, but it is one of those things that we ask all of our leaders and we will even say, look, we recognize that there may be some things on here that you see a little bit different, whether it's the gender roles, whether it's church governance. Uh, the last little paragraph that you mentioned earlier talks about the elders being the final arbiters of the truth of the Word of God for us, that there are a lot of churches that don't have that. And so, again, it wasn't meant to be a closed-handed in the sense that this is what makes you a Christian. Mm. It it was meant to say, this is how we're going to operate, and if you want to be in leadership here, we're asking you to submit to these, at least to be able to affirm these, even if there is some nuance to which you disagree, that as a representative of a leader at Quad City, we need to to affirm these things and not be divisive over them. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Um, well, we've got, so one more question kind of along these lines, and then I really, to Josh's point earlier, I do want to bring it home with the question you had made reference to around how do we maintain fellowship with people who think differently? Cause that was kind of hey, that was where Jason's message began. It's like, what do we do when people, when we realize people believe differently than we do? Um, so I want to land with that one. Um, but the next one, and we got this question four times, uh, so definitely worth mentioning here. Um, so in regards to this idea of disputable or indisputable matters, where does abortion land? Well, I think it would land, it depends upon what you mean, okay? So there's a couple of questions behind the question. When you ask, is it disputable or indisputable related to abortion? I got to ask the question, what do you mean? Is it disputable or indisputable that abortion is a sin that is indisputable, uh, I think, biblically. Like the murder of a, a child, even in the womb, it's indisputably a sin. Um, God gives personhood to babies in the womb. We see this all over Scripture. I mean, you think about John the Baptist. You think about Jesus. You think about... I mean, John John was given a name in the womb, and he was given a purpose from the womb. Like his parents were told, this is who he is, and this is what he's going to do, and this is how he's going to live, and this is what it's going to look like. He was, he was a person given that purpose and meaning and value in the womb. Uh, Psalm 139 speaks of that God knit us together in our mother's womb. Like there is, Jeremiah addresses the same thing. Like this is indisputable for us. So the murder of a child in the womb is indisputably 
dishonoring to God. It is the taking of a life. It is the destruction of an image bearer of God. So in that sense, that is indisputable. Um, in fact, I several years ago, I heard it put this way, and it's always stuck with me, and it wrecks me every time I hear it, that abortion is actually the anti-gospel, where it is the gospel says, in the gospel, Jesus says, because I love you, I will die for you. Abortion says, because I love me, you will die for me. Like it is, it is the, it is the anti-gospel. And so in that sense, abortion is indisputably a sin. Now, does that mean anyone who's ever had an abortion is not a brother or sister? Not that a man can have an abortion, but a man can take his girlfriend or wife or partner, or they can pay for it and push for it. They can be participants in the decision to have it. So is someone who's been in that position where they've either had an abortion or participated in facilitating an abortion, does that mean that person cannot be a brother or sister in Christ? And the answer to that is no. That is not indisputable. We absolutely have people in our church who have had abortions, who have paid for abortions, who've given rides to abortions, and they've come to the place where they've recognized and repented of that and recognized that it is sin, and they are absolutely brothers and sisters in Christ. So that piece of it is not indisputable. It does not keep you from being a brother or sister in Christ because you've had an abortion. Yeah, that was a good answer. Good answer. Pretty good, man. Here's the last one. <laughs> and it almost goes into, there's like one other question behind the, the abortion question that we're going to get into with, with um, was this Mr. Fisher? That sent yes. This one in? Fantastic. Yes. So here's, uh, and this is really a, like the application of all of this. Um, and I love that we get to land um, on this piece. Here's the question. How do you maintain a close fellowship with Christians who are fully convinced their position is negotiable when you believe there is scripture that shows it is non-negotiable? For example, supporting a pro-life candidate, or sorry, pro-choice candidate, um, the selective use of abortion or legal recreational drug use. Those are just a couple of examples um, that he used. So how do we how do we maintain close fellowship with Christians who are convinced, really one way or the other, that might be opposite of what we're convinced by Scripture? That's a deep question. I think too behind that is is it a if it's a closed hand for you, is it a closed hand for everyone? Not right, necessarily. Like, we'll get to that, that next week. That's I know. Yeah, that sermon. again. I know. But again, so I just think the third one, um, uh, legal is. I think is important. He said legal yep. recreational drug usage. Um, uh, are there scriptures that make it a non-negotiable? And could that person give you a, another amount of scriptures that make it um, a, a negotiable? Right. You know. Yeah. I think of eschatology. On both sides, there's people who 
give you scriptures all over. Mm-hmm. Uh, once saved, always saved. People, would, I had a conversation. I could give you just as many scriptures one way. You could give them the other way. How do we then maintain close fellowship with them? Mm-hmm. And what I try to remember is, like, ultimately, is what you said. I am not the judge jury of these of people. That's not my call. Uh, my call is to love my neighbor, which that includes members and non-members of Quad City Christian Church. Mm-hmm. And there are people who are outside of my viewpoints of faith, but I am still called to love them. And there are people within my viewpoints of faith who have differing opinions and differing looks and views on scripture, but the, my call doesn't change. I'm still called to worship with them and break bread with them and fellowship with them. And honestly, I'm also called to learn from them and to go, man, is my viewpoint wrong? What do they see that I don't see? Maybe there is something. I love how you ended. Maybe there's something that I don't know or haven't looked at that now I look at and go, oh man, that's that's maybe true. Or is there things that as I talk through it more, I go, nah, man, I'm pretty sure this is what scripture says. And I'm willing though to still sit down, support the same missions and causes and go after things with you because we're going to promote the kingdom of God. Um, and yeah. so again, I think again, it's, it's back to what we talked about last week is the, it's interesting that the call to love is right before this so that we don't forget it. Right. You know, that we don't forget that there are going to be things that easily divide us, but we shouldn't let it be that way. We shouldn't take the us versus them mentality. And so, um, I think that's what I have to keep in my mind when I rub up against this because it, it dude, it's a lot easier in my flesh just to be done with it. And then that's not, it's not honorable. That's not what Jesus calls. Um, there's going to be a lot of people that I'm going to worship with for all of eternity that probably are so very different than me. I know they're going to be so very different than me. Mm-hmm. And so um, because God's grace and mercy is way bigger than I can understand. And there are some things the church just hasn't, fully agreed on for hundreds of years, thousands of years now. And so I just, I think I'm a less sure to take more things into the closed hand camp. Um, maybe than I used to be, I think when I was again, arrogant in my twenties, everything was closed hand for sure. Right now it's like, Oh man, I don't know. I, yeah, I, you went to the, nothing is disputable. <laughs> nothing. Cause you're arrogant. And you're yeah. like, I'm for sure of everything. And I got to tell. I got yeah. It all. Yeah. Now it's probably less than that. So let's, let me address it this way to think about. There are a lot of things in the open hand, things that are disputable that are really, really important. And again, I think we can't, say this enough. Yeah. And there are actually a lot of things in that open hand that we could be dis- uh, disagree over that actually would probably, not probably, that absolutely would determine whether or not I was a part of a church. Oh, for sure. So let's yeah. let's take, for instance, the eschatology piece, okay? Um, I fit more into the amillennial camp, although I think there's a little there's a little crazy in all of them. Okay, uh, I don't fit into the premillennialist camp. Okay, if I were looking for a church, and one of the options was a church that had 
strong dispensational premillennialist preaching to whereby much of the sermons were read through or preached through that lens on an ongoing basis, I would probably say this isn't the church for me. And it's not because I think those people are out or they're not brothers or sisters or that we can't worship together or or even the fact that they are uh that I would that I believe that they are absolutely wrong. I wouldn't say that. I would just say we've come to different conclusions and and that probably wouldn't be the church that I would attend. So, even though I would 100% put that in the disputable category, it would not be something or not be a place that I would probably place my membership and worship with on a regular basis. So, the same thing that we could think about with our brothers and sisters who think differently on these, uh, whether it's recreational pot or what was the other one, the second one? Um, second one was, oh, voting for a pro-choice candidate. Yeah, so that one, again, when we, the, one of the biggest struggles is when we take one position of any candidate and elevate it to the the only position, I think that gets us in trouble. Because all of them are flawed and all of them are broken. Our two-party system has issues on both sides. So to take just one issue and determine whether that makes you a Christian or not, I think that's a pretty dicey place to find ourselves. I would say, so the biggest question on that that I think is the first one. So let's read that one one more time and let's try to talk through some nuance on that one. Uh the first point that he, or, yeah, 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 yeah. So, for example, supporting a pro-choice candidate, um, the selective use of abortion, yeah, and then the last one is recreational yeah. drug use. So, the selective use of abortion piece. You know, one of the struggles. This is, this is the one of the things that we were kind of bantering back and forth for a little while. Can a person be a follower of Jesus? And still support abortion. When he, I'm guessing when he says selective use, my mind, I firstly, using went, it as birth control. Yeah, I actually was thinking, so I thought really first was medical stuff, like they're using it for like medical, but, but then I thought, is he talking like rape, incest, death of mom, child? Is that the selective use, maybe? No, the selective use is a term that would be you're using it. <laughs> As a form of birth control. You just uh, see, I don't, I feel like it'd be the like, if in, it's medically induced, it's not selective. It's, it's but I select, necessary. Okay. Well, rape could fall into that. Anyways, oh, you're going to open up. No, no, I just, no, 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 I'm not trying to do that. I'm, honestly, I'm not. I, honestly, I, because I was thinking of like using it for like medical, like testing and that kind of stuff. Like we use aborted fetuses, all that stuff. Yeah. That's where my first one, but then I was like, I don't think that's probably what he's asking. No. I think it's probably another way, but I don't think it's just as, as a birth control and easy get out. I feel like it's where I, the way I read it, I'm, I land about in Jason's camp where if I, yeah, when I read selective use of birth control, it is, or sorry, selective use of abortion. I think of the birth control camp of, uh, this isn't what I want for me in okay. the next nine months. I have a solution sort of thing. Gotcha. So the selfish. Yes. Use. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and maybe this is a good example for us to banter back and forth uh, on where we stand on this and 
give each other hugs at the end of it. Um, I have a hard time believing that someone shares the same understanding and love of the gospel if they would advocate a pro-choice position. I, I, I just struggle with that. I just don't see how someone can hold that view and still say that they are a follower of Jesus. Now, again, I could be misinformed, and there might be somebody out there who could help me understand how it does actually honor God, how abortion on demand, which is what many of our leaders are advocating in our country, how that actually is a position that reflects the heart of God and the gospel of Jesus. Um, at this point, I, ca- I can't. I don't see it. I, I don't understand how someone could advocate that position and consider themselves a follower of Jesus. So, I don't know. Maybe you guys want to weigh in and help me see a side I don't see. I feel like you just set both of us up to try to argue the opposite. <laughs> and I was like, hold up, which man. neither of us are going to do. I'm not. I'm not pro-choice. <laughs> yeah, I'm not at all. I th- you, again, you need to ask the question you asked. Was can someone? Is that's what you're trying to get at in your mind? Yeah. Can they be a brother or sister that I would Correct. have that I would maintain close fellowship with? Yeah. If they believe this. Yeah. How do you land on that? I'm still called to love them. For sure. 100%. But would you consider them a brother or sister in Christ if they were advocating for abortion on demand? I See, this is the nuance for me. Right. This is what I told you. Yeah. When, when you say the word brother and sister in Christ— that you, you, are, you think they are saved by grace through faith in Jesus okay. and have been transformed by the gospel, by the gospel, filled with the Spirit. Loving and living, doing Jesus things. Correct. You're saying they're not that. I'm saying. That they, when they meet I'm Jesus, are going to hell. That's what you're saying. I'm Yes. Well, no, not that they're going to hell. I don't know about that. What I'm saying is. I have a hard time seeing how those two things can be reconciled. I look at how does light have any partnership with darkness? And I just don't see how those how you could hold both of those positions simultaneously. That it's okay to have abortion on demand at any point in a pregnancy while at the same time taking up my cross and following Jesus. I just don't know how how a person can hold both of those positions simultaneously. Yeah, and I told and I've told you that my mind instantly goes to the '60s and to the 1800s and the 1700s and American chattel slavery. And I don't know how people hold those views as being right or approving or affirming them. And they also preach the same gospel that I see of the kingdom of God. And we can just say in the 60s, we don't have to go, buddy, to the 1700s, just the Jim Crow South and the segregation and the fact that I've seen pictures and know people holding up signs and cursing out black kids as they walked into public schools. And I think we would both affirm that was sinful and that was wrong. And And I would struggle, which I don't think you would say. I would, my struggle is how 
could I call them a brother or sister when they don't see everyone in the same lens as a creation of God? Because that it, yeah, that is where my mind went is right. The, I think there's some education around, um, with this being such a hot topic issue that so many people have an opinion about from a p- political perspective, abortion specifically is what I'm talking about. Um, right. There is a culture built around, yeah, of course we believe that there should be a choice by the, by the mother. Like that is the prevail, uh, prevailing narrative in our culture right now is of course mom should have a choice. It's her body, her choice. So the thing I wrestle with is at what level is it the, uh, and obviously this is the church's responsibility to educate against that from the standpoint of the value that God sees of the human soul. Like that's our, our job is to educate people. And at what point in that process do they go from darkness to light? Like if they're uninformed, but trying to follow Jesus and trying to figure this whole thing out, like we have a role to play in informing them that like we are image bearers of the the heavenly father. Like that's our job to inform them. So there is this, gosh, okay. So for someone who really is wanting to learn more about Jesus, but hasn't quite yet gotten there, to where they do believe, oh, this is really important to God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What about those people? Oh, that's a great. Because we would say more of culture now believes definitely different than us. Oh, for sure. Yes. And so, Brendan, that was a great insight. Absolutely. We would, somebody who is beginning their journey with Jesus, it's going to take a while for their mind to be transformed by the renewing of their mind. And so, again, we do all come into our relationship with Jesus with messed up moral compasses, every one of us. And God is still doing a sanctifying work in all of us. And so, you that is a great point. You, I think you, you nailed it for me right there, just saying, absolutely, that person could still be a brother or sister and struggling to figure out uh, how that worldview that they've grown up with aligns... Um, with the Christ-like worldview. So that was very helpful. Um, but I would say Ken used a oh, yeah. a passage from Dionysus back in the first century, or, or I guess it was the second century. Yeah, a letter. A letter from Dionysus, who was a Roman historian that talked about the distinctiveness of Christianity. And I want... I'm going to ask Josh, I ask him to pull it up, yeah. and I want you to read just a big couple first sentences of it. Yeah, they marry as do, as do all others. They have children, but they do not commit infanticide. Okay, pause right there. He didn't address it at the time, but infanticide is hmm. the killing of babies. Like, th- that was pervasive in the Roman culture, that you could have a baby and you just didn't want it. It was the ancient form of abortion. You just threw the child out. It, 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 nobody had any issue with it. You didn't want it. You couldn't take care of it. You thought you were too poor. It was an inconvenient time. You it just was a female. It. it was a female. That's right. Yeah. Born of the wrong gender. You just chuck it. You just throw the baby away. And from the very beginning, yeah, the worldview of followers of Jesus, from the beginning, one of the greatest distinctives that made an impact in the Roman culture at the time was that Christians don't do that. In fact, we're going to go to the the dump and we're going to pick these babies up and we're going to 
raise them to know and love Jesus, to help them understand that they are childbearers of God and have been filled with His Spirit. Like, we don't do this. This is not what Christians have done from the time of Christ. So, um, I just think it's important for us to recognize that. But again, back to your point, Brendan, not everybody knows that yet. If you're just coming into faith and you've only, uh, your worldview has only been shaped by culture and not by scripture, then that's going to be a new idea. And uh, God's going to have to work that in you. So, Which again, it makes sense then so much of Paul's writings to switch the household codes and children, parent code, like all the stuff was because he was shifting an entire cultural narrative of Gentile believers. And again, my closed hand belief of that God created all that I see, know, and it's his goodness. And then gave me the gift of creation to multiply, Mm -hmm. right? Helps me to go, why, how would you ever want to, Get rid of a life. It's all valuable. Mm-hmm. Every life, even the ones with whatever, right? Because some of it was just disabilities. It's going to be too hard. We get rid of it. Ah, females are low. Ah, they're not lower. They're just as wonderfully created. So again, even our viewpoint of they're different doesn't mean that they're less. Oh, no. And again, that's the, but it's easy to go there. And yeah. so again, you're right, Christians from the beginning. Because they even had really cruel worship practices of abortion. Like, it was awful. And then they just dump it out and go, the gypsies will pick it up or the wolves will eat it. We don't care. To go, no, man, we value life in such a way because God created all of life. He literally, like, he breathed his life in into us. Like, you know, we, we've been talking about that, too. Just but that reminder of, like, it, it was just dust and then God put his life in me and now we continue that on so it's that goodness of creation that we see and so yeah I'm with you anybody who would advocate I would have a really hard time with as well I'm I'm there I'm I'm 100% with you right but I'm I'm hoping and praying that we can have more conversations cuz my kids are going to face this I feel like so much more, man. And that's where, again, that's the point of the church taking an active role in the education piece. But we can't do that through hate, right? We can't do that through just being divisive and quarreling and having your six sticking points from your favorite political talking head. Like, that's just not helpful. But we really do have a role to play in the education of what God values. I wonder how quick, I, I, need, I want to read more history. There's that book, The Destroyer of the Gods. That was one of the things they talked about that made them stand out. This is in, but I wonder how quick a shift it was. And I think it's because Jewish people always had this belief. Yeah. So they brought it with them. Yeah. Yeah. But like those sitting in Rome, like I wondered how hard of a turn it was for them to yeah. go, oh, we don't do that anymore? Yeah. Oh, okay. The, the next one, we invite strangers to our table, but not to our bed. Like that's the next quote, you yeah. know, um, and to to shift that whole belief of like, oh, this is this is not a big deal anymore, um, you know. All right, I need to I need to pick up one more scab before we're done. Go All right, let's do that. All right, Josh, let's bring it back to the slavery in America in the eighteen hundreds or seventeen hundreds, or Jim Crow in the seventies, sixties, fifties. So as Brendan kind of shine some light on, okay, these people who are coming to faith have grown up in a culture where abortion on demand, woman's choice, her body, her choice, that's been a 
part of everything that they've grown up with, then they come to faith, and that doesn't just fall away, mm-hmm. and it takes some time for them to begin to understand and be educated and to learn and to grow, and for their heart and mind to be transformed. When you think about those in the Jim Crow South, could you say, whereas I, I would admit, yeah, you're 100% right, they may still hold those beliefs, and they would still be a brother and sister, they're just... They just need educated. They need they need to learn, and they need to be their heart transformed by the gospel. Could you offer that same olive branch to some of those in the Jim Crow South, whose whose whole culture they were taught by their grandfathers who owned slaves, all the way down that these people aren't real people or they're less than people? Then they come to Jesus in their twenties or thirties. And they still have that same worldview ingrained in them, but they're trying to figure out what it means to love and to follow Jesus. But they're fighting against 20, 30 years of their own life and then five and six centuries of their family history. Would you be able to say, yeah, they could still be brothers and sisters. They just need to be educated. Yeah, as long, and I think part of it is they have to really be willing to be educated and to listen. And I think some of our social discourse now al- allows us to brush off real education and real listening. We're just as much as you want to sit down people with the idea of marriage and remarriage and really talk to them and pastor them. And you know that some of those conversations end poorly, some end great, some end, I'm not sure, yeah. right? But the hope is that they'd at least be willing to listen to you. Um, what's happening for a lot of those conversations, not everybody, but some of them, is it's really easy to take some talking points, even with this stuff, and label it as, well, Josh is woke or Mark's or whatever, right? I've, I've heard more of that just in these conversations. Instead of like listening to go, oh, man, that yeah, that was an issue. Man, I can't believe we would we would do that and to be willing to listen to the other side. But I've been in the South. I've had these conversations. Most of, there's a lot of people I went to church with that they would say things and I would be like, Oh, I'd have people go. Yeah. I'll never forget. I was probably 19 or 20. And there were people that went to Southside. So Jason and I home church and the wife was just saying there was a Kentucky basketball game on. And the wife was like, yeah, so-and-so, they don't watch it anymore. Because they're like, oh, you probably were getting home to watch the game. No, we don't watch it anymore. Not since they let that black guy be a coach. And I was like, whoa. And it was like shocking to me. And I was like, wait a minute. And there were many more of those kinds of moments. But it was like, oh, no, they still go to church with me. Mm-hmm. And they grew up in a time, my own grandma said things that were just not okay. And I would be like, and I love her. She's why I know Jesus. But she would use words, and I'd be like, "That's not okay." Now, all like we can't, you can't say, "Well, that's just how I was raised." Okay, but that doesn't make it okay now, right? And I'm telling you that that word choice is wrong. So, yeah, I would say I for sure, and I I may worship with people now. I hope not, but there's a very good chance I may worship with people right now, and I'm willing to break bread and take communion with them, and we're going to stand in the kingdom together. And just why I have beliefs that may be radically changed. Um, so again, this is one of those for me that it matters greatly. It is a big deal. Mm-hmm. But I am—I don't want to ever maybe get to the point where I'm like they're out. 
Yeah, so what that's you're the danger. Is we're still going to leave room for the sanctification. Yeah, process. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And again, just say so you and uh, you know, our conversation about abortion before even for you in this a 2-hour conversation to go, man, that's a good point, Brendan. Like that you're open to have discussion that we've had discussion. Again, I I never thought of remarriage and marriage in the way that you've taught it because nobody ever taught it to me. And then as you've presented the scriptures, it's like, oh, man, whoa. So in a year and a half, just being willing to listen and to hear and to go. But it never did you say, you have to believe this, Josh, to work here. Mm -hmm. Like Jason never said that. But just that he's presented the scriptures in a way that I'm like, man, that's a really big deal. And we're actually, as a pastor, it's a really big deal for me. And I have to care more about this. So this comes back to the second point of our kind of wrap-up application. Like, we're going to ask questions without quarreling. How yeah. Do, how do we yeah. do that? How do we sincerely help me understand why you've come to that conclusion? And we always want to be open to doing that with and for each other. So we yeah. should do that more in, 100%. in our church, in our life groups. Yes. Again, like you said, what do you do in your life group when you look around and yep. there's more people who disagree? I actually think that is can be helpful for us. For sure. It's the that's the perspective that we want mm-hmm. to yeah. help shape us. And I know you guys, your differing views help me be a better believer and follower of Jesus because I have blind spots that I just would never see. And how you guys were brought up is so incredibly helpful with your view of the kingdom that we all need. So. Yeah. There God uses one another to help us be sanctified. I mean, we've talked about uh, oh, blanking on his name, uh, Apollos mm. and Priscilla and Aquila. He was a brother and sister, but he had some off views, and Priscilla and Aquila <laughs> had to take him aside and <laughs> teach him. They sat him down. They sat him down and had some conversations to teach him the gospel more fully because he's teaching some things he probably shouldn't have been teaching. And and then he's but, in Corinthians. We see his name right. in Corinthians. Yeah. But yeah. he was a he was a brother. They loved him. And yeah. he had some stuff that was a little off, and he needed somebody to help him understand that. So, yeah. yeah. So, but this I, ought to be an ongoing conversation that we have. But I think the problem is, again, this is so much of our way in which we operate currently in our culture is to shut off anybody who disagrees with me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that's fleshly, even my thing at times. Yeah. And to go, that's not helpful. In fact, that's not loving. Yeah. Loving and sitting and listening and yeah. doing the really hard thing and then being sure of, like I said, it also reminds me of, oh, yeah, this is why I'm sure of this. Mm-hmm. Oh, this I see this in God's word, you know? Yeah, so. yeah, 100%. Well, that's all the questions from this past Sunday. Jason, do you want to give us a little bit of a foreshadow to this upcoming Sunday? Yeah, well, this con- conversation continues. In yeah. fact, it goes through chapter 15, verse 7. And, and we'll jump to the next nuance of what role does our conscience play in these disputable matters. So that's where he's going to hit us next. And we already actually have a really good question for that one specifically that we got today. So I'm excited for that. Very good. All right. Thanks, guys. See you again real soon. All right. Well, that is a wrap on episode 39 of the Gospel for Everyone podcast. We're so grateful that you would choose to spend this time with us today. As always, if you have any questions or comments from Sunday's message, we do encourage you to go to 
quadcity.church slash Romans, where you could submit those questions to be answered right here on the show. We do hope this conversation was fruitful in your walk with Jesus and growing more near to him today. And we can't wait to see you again next time.